0: as free people of uh, democratic uh, nations, of uh, people who support freedom, uh, we should also support privacy because without privacy we will not be able to exercise any of our rights in the future. So the, the conversation should uh, go into a direction where we normalize privacy and uh, enable it for everyone uh, because that's, that's a train we clearly missed when we in, um, started building out the internet infrastructure we have today. But uh, I also am very uh, optimistic about this because in le- recent years we have seen developments that were not, uh, you know, that were unthinkable a couple of years ago, uh, with end-to-end encryption and Noster as decentralized social media, uh, for example. Bitcoin obviously as unstoppable money that cannot be taken away from you, and eCash is also part of that because it allows you to build uh, systems, uh, custodial systems that are private respect your privacy as an individual and also cannot be censored arbitrarily.
1: Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker and this is the Bitcoin podcast. The Bitcoin block height is 832156 and the value of one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, where I talk with my guest about Bitcoin and whatever else comes up. Today, that guest is Cali, an open source Bitcoin and Lightning developer who is currently exploring Chameleon eCash and started Cashew, an open source eCash protocol for Bitcoin. You've probably seen a lot of talk about eCash recently on social media, but if you're like me, you may still have a lot of questions about what it is, how it works, and what it means going forward. So today's episode will answer those exact questions and probably answer some questions you didn't even know you should ask. We also dig into Noster, scaling Bitcoin, and even CBDCs using eCash. You can find all Cali's links in the show notes, as well as links to other eCash projects built on top of Cashew. I highly recommend you check them out. As always, you can watch the video version of this episode on Rumble, YouTube, or X by searching at Walker America or listen on Fountain.fm or wherever you get your podcast by searching for The Bitcoin Podcast. If you listen to The Bitcoin Podcast on Fountain, which I recommend, consider giving this show a boost or creating a clip of something you found interesting. And if you are a Bitcoin-only company interested in sponsoring another fucking Bitcoin podcast, hit me up on social media or through the website... BitcoinPodcast.net. Without further ado, let's get into this Bitcoin talk with Cali. Now we are live. Well, again, hello and welcome to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. It's good to uh, good to see you.
0: Thanks for having me, Walker.
1: And uh, so. You know, we were just talking a little bit before this, usually I start off with the question, uh, to guests, you know, who are you and how did you get here today? But for you, I want to have the question just be, uh, what are you building today? And what is your energy and attention focused on Cali?
0: So I'm a Bitcoin developer and I started building mostly on lightning, which I still do. So I was involved in several lightning. projects myself and in recent, in the last year I've uh, explored more and more Chowmin eCash which uh, you know, I started a project called Cashew which is an open source eCash protocol um, built for Bitcoin and that's where I spend most of my time these days building software uh, for Cashew and talking to other developers who were working on their own projects and working out a protocol with them so we can all speak the same language and build software that is interoperable uh, under this umbrella.
1: Beautiful. And, you know, I, I think uh, maybe for those who are not familiar or have been too afraid to ask at this point uh, what exactly eCash is, Uh, The idea has obviously been around uh, since, I believe, the early 80s, right? David Chom in like 82 wrote the the first kind of paper about it. But can you maybe give folks just a little bit of a background and a primer on how eCash came to be and then kind of where it has uh, evolved to at this point? Because some of the early projects were ultimately failures um, prior to Bitcoin coming on the scene and then that providing a new uh, vehicle for eCash, let's
0: say mm-hmm so um it depends where we want to start because this the this question is fairly deep right so but uh <laughs> I'll suggest we'll just start at the beginning and uh, we can go as deep as you like so chomin eCash, as the name says was invented by a genius cryptographer called David Chom and this was nineteen eighty two so this is a precursor to um Bitcoin by a long stretch and any kind of payments on the internet and online payments. So uh, David Chom came up with this uh, idea to build a anonymous payment system back in 82 that allows users who have a bank account, for example, to execute anonymous payments on that bank account because he foresaw already in 82 that uh, most of our lives will be online at some point and we will be leaving traces for everything that we do. And he anticipated that already in 82, which is amazing to think about because the Internet was still very far away for consumers. And so in 82, he, came, he comes up with this idea called blind signatures and um, figures that you can actually make a payment protocol out of this idea. And so for anyone who doesn't know what a blind signature is, the typical example that folks like to give in order to imagine what it's about is a physical one with the carbon paper. And we'll do it here again. So uh, imagine, so the, the idea of blind signatures is that someone can give you a signature on a document that they haven't seen yet, but once you present them the document with the signature, they can verify the signature was indeed from them. So... In a, in a physical uh, world, an example might be a contract that you write. For example, that contract may say, uh, this contract is worth one Bitcoin. And you put that paper contract into uh, a carbon paper envelope. A carbon paper is where you, you, know, you write on top of it and it presses through to the, to the um, document below. So when you put this uh, original contract, um, the contract says this is worth one Bitcoin, into a carbon paper envelope and now send it, for example, to a bank. The bank might say, oh, um, here's a contract and an envelope which I cannot see, but uh, I know that you would like to have a signature on it, so please send me one Bitcoin first. And when when you've done that, I will sign the contract from the outside and send it back to you. So you would send, for example, one Bitcoin to this bank and the bank then provides a signature onto the envelope and sends you back the envelope and still close. It never opened until now when you receive it back, you can actually open the envelope and take out the contract and now you have a signature on a contract that says the bank owes me one bitcoin. And the nice thing about this is that uh, this was a blind signature so the bank never saw the contract which means that when you next go, uh, when you take the contract and go now to the bank and say hey bank I would like to have my one bitcoin back please and here's the contract with the proof that you approved this, then the bank cannot correlate uh, the signature operation that it did before with the redemption operation that you're doing now. And this is what gives uh, eCash the perfect privacy basically. So obviously this doesn't happen on paper, it happens with cryptography and you're the only person who can open the envelope because it was encrypted by you and so on and so forth. But these are the details. The general idea is the same. You could build an eCash system purely out of paper as well. So That is the rough idea of how David Chaum envisioned eCash to work already in 82, but obviously not with Bitcoin because it wasn't around, but on the banking system. So replace everything that I said uh, with just dollars. And the idea was phenomenal and very uh, forward thinking and uh, it caused a lot of excitement already in the late 80s and beginning of the 90s and big banks. Uh, like Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse and big players like MasterCard and Microsoft. And they were all very, very excited about this idea and wanted to build a future in which we can transact online with eCash, denominated in US dollars, to buy stuff online and so on and so forth. Uh, however, unfortunately, this um, beautiful future that we could have had uh, never came to, uh, uh, to reality because of several operational problems that the company uh, that was building on this technology called DigiCash uh, made some mistakes here and there. Uh, You can research it yourself if you're interested why this business failed but ultimately um, there was a business failure of this grandiose idea. However in hindsight we can also see that uh, um, the idea dependent on the cooperation with the financial system. So banks must have been on board in order to really build a system that makes sense, right? You need a bank to deposit the US dollars to and then get the e-cash and so on and so forth. So that is also a very big uh, friction point uh, in the development of the story. Well, um, then eCash cash basically died. So this went no- uh, nowhere except for some experiments that have been done and no significant or meaningful adoption of this technology. And then we waited all together for around another 20 years and Bitcoin came about. So Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto also um, directly references e eCash multiple times and everyone was thinking about e eCash and how to improve that during those times, uh, especially the cypherpunks. Uh, Satoshi then found a way to build money that is electronic cash, not quite like eCash that uh, David Charmin envisioned, but it solved the problem of needing a centralized server in order to build a monetary system online. So, um, again, as a just note on that, as I explained before, you need the bank running a server for eCash to work. But with Bitcoin, we don't need anyone specifically to run a server for us. We, uh, the system is totally decentralized and Bitcoin ultimately won. And now we have a basically a um, base currency for the internet that everyone is free to use however they like. So um, that was in 2008 when Satoshi invented Bitcoin, uh, which is around 20 years after eCash has died. So. The history goes that we waited another 15 years or so uh, until bitcoin matured and was here to stay and also established itself as the base monetary unit for the internet and in recent years we have seen uh, again uh, new interests um, pop up in charming e-cash especially from the bitcoin uh, from the bitcoin ecosystem so two projects in the bitcoin ecosystem right now are fediment and cashew which are both which I mean eCash implementations, which build on the same idea that I just described, but without the banks. So essentially, we're building custodial systems in a a sense um, that can issue eCash to their users uh, without any cooperation of any uh, bank or so. You can just build it by yourself and then offer it as free and open source software. And this allows us to build all kinds of online services that we're already building today, but with much more increased privacy and efficiency and other nice things that you can do with eCash. So, um, to make it very short, eCash basically allows us today to build something like Wallet of Satoshi Uh, but with almost perfect privacy so that Wallet of Satoshi doesn't know uh, that you are a user, how much you have in your wallet and with whom you're transacting. I think these are the things that we will be talking about shortly. But essentially, and that's the thing to keep in mind, eCash is a way to build custodial applications uh, with almost perfect privacy. And uh, it should have been part of our lives 30 years ago, but unfortunately it failed. And now we're trying to uh, fix the problem and see um, if we can build the system again on top of a free and open source system like Bitcoin, where you can innovate without permission.
1: That was an incredible primer uh, on that. I, I can I can tell you may have talked about this before, uh, but I, I love it. That's it's really important background I think, and something that perhaps a lot of uh, A lot of maybe more hardcore bitcoiners really appreciate but that many uh i would say many bitcoiners and certainly most of the normie population does not appreciate is just how messed up our current system for online payments is if you think about just even using credit cards online like every time you go to a website you want to and you want to check out you're putting in all of that information i mean and not just not just basically like the private key to your credit card you know you're putting in all of that detailed credit card information into, an, into a form, but you're also needing to put your billing address, you know, all of that has to match. Like you are, you are doxing yourself and exposing your personal financial information every time you wanna make an online payment. That it's really kind of messed up when you think about it, that there isn't another way, like you can't really buy something anonymously online. There's, until you know, Bitcoin came along, there really wasn't a way to be able to do this And it's something that I think we've just kind of like accepted as well. This is just normal. This is just how things have to be done because we don't have another solution. And that's what I think is so exciting about, uh, all of the the e-cash work that's coming out now, whether it be Fedi or, you know, cashew is that this is an opportunity to do things right, uh, to give people the choice, because that's what it all comes down to. If you want to put in your personal information, you don't care fine, but you should have the choice. And I think that optionality is so important.
0: Maybe. Uh... Oh, oh, yeah, um, go ahead. go ahead. Yeah, just to comment on that, because uh, I also think that we've basically found ourselves in a trap where we accepted the reality as a given. And, um, you know, when you look back into the 90s, how it almost succeeded. Uh, you can see that after its failure and when, uh, when eCash was off the table, uh, then, only then PayPal and credit cards on the internet really pick up. So this was an opportunity to build systems from the beginning that respect our privacy. David Chaum himself said that in order to have a functioning democracy, you need privacy on the a, on a lowest level. Um, uh, In our society, it's very well accepted that we need privacy for communication, but especially your activity online when you do small purchases. You just, you know, you purchase maybe an mp3 song uh, or you want to read an article online and you pay for the paywall or whatever it is, especially the smaller transactions that uh, are not significant in an economic sense leave all sorts of uh, scary metadata about everyone, everywhere. And we have uh, ended up in a system where this is not only the case but also wanted because this data is also used to monetize uh, on you after the fact that you have paid and is shared with multiple parties uh, without you really uh, understanding or consenting to cons- giving consent to that. So uh, Chomini eCash is an attempt to fix especially smaller payments online and uh, to give users back the privacy where it matters, uh, which, which is mostly online interactions and on a small scale that we already do every day, um, every, every day and everywhere.
1: And I think the other, uh, the other important piece there, cause you know, you mentioned both PayPal, but then credit cards, the other, very important piece is that both of those are closed systems that you can be cut off from at a moment's notice. If you buy the wrong thing, if you say the wrong thing in a completely different uh, silo, and then PayPal decides, you know what, uh, sorry, this goes against our policies, and you're no longer able to use our service. Well, now, now you're screwed. You can't use PayPal. Okay, your bank cuts you off. You're not allowed to use your credit card. It's really uh and I think a lot of Americans, uh, as an American, I'll speak for Americans, uh, a lot of Americans do not realize that that is something that can actually happen to you. They, they don't realize it because it's never happened to them, but it's something that happens to people all over the world. I was uh, talking with KG uh, last week who is building uh, Machankura, and one of the reasons he started building that was because his bank shut down and froze his account because he was trying to buy rights to the Bitcoin standard online. And they just froze his account without warning. He couldn't get it back. That's something that sounds you know, crazy to a lot of Americans, but, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before these things happen to you. So it's nice to have options and people don't realize, you know, if you're cut off from the financial system, you are cut off from everything. You know, how are you supposed to exercise your right to free speech if you can't buy a plane ticket to go to a protest? how are you supposed to exercise your right you know again to free speech online if you've been completely you know shut off from being able to pay for a subscription whatever it might be it's it's a really important thing both to have that privacy but then to have at least the censorship resistant capability so that you know you can continue to exercise all your other rights cuz money is really you know being able to transact is the base layer of so many other exercises of rights and i think that goes over a lot of people's heads, they look at them as separate things, but they're very much, you know, conjoined.
0: Yes, absolutely. And this is also I think it's always useful to think back of uh, physical cash and what what beautiful and simple privacy preserving technology that is and how well this is also accepted in our societies. And obviously physical cash is being used less and less everywhere around the world because people prefer the convenience of paying with digital systems and I understand that because it's more convenient to do it, it um, becomes more and more popular. And with eCash you can achieve a very similar privacy level as with digital uh, with physical cash uh, by building something very similar to to that in, in the online space. and. Um, so uh, I think there is this nice saying that, uh, that says, you know, if, if physical cash was in, invented today, it would probably be illegal. And that just gives you uh, this perspective of how fast things can change in terms of what is accepted in society and whatnot. And especially what is uh, deemed okay in society today can change very, very quickly in the future. And as as free people, of uh, democratic uh, nations, of uh, people who support freedom, uh, we should also support privacy, because without privacy, we will not be able to exercise any of our rights in the future. So um, the the conversation should uh, go into a direction where we normalize privacy and uh, enable it for everyone, uh, because that's, that's a train we clearly missed when we um, started building out the Internet infrastructure um, that that we have today. But uh, I also am very uh, optimistic about this, because in le- recent years we have seen developments that were not, uh, you know, that were unthinkable a couple of years ago uh, with end to end encryption and um, Noster as decentralized social media, uh, for example, Bitcoin obviously as unstoppable money that cannot be taken away from you. And eCache is also part of that uh, because it allows you to build uh, systems, uh, custodial systems, that are uh, private, respect your privacy as an individual and also cannot be censored arbitrarily. And we can get into that later when we describe a little bit more uh, about the privacy features of eCash, how that also gives you uh, these um, uh, unexpected uh, features, for example, such as uh, censorship resistance.
1: And perhaps that's actually a a perfect segue into that to talk a little bit about because you use the term like near perfect privacy for eCash. Can you explain kind of what uh, what that means in the context of eCash? You know, the idea of near near
0: perfect. Yes, we can do that. So um, maybe it's useful to first think about how a, an ordinary custodial system works today and what what, we can call, uh, what the systems are that we can call custodial systems. So when I say custodial systems, uh, I usually mean uh, a little bit more than the usual uh, Bitcoiner because custodial systems are much more widespread than you would think. So this is not only Wallet of Satoshi, for example, which is um, the biggest custodial lightning wallet, um, that I like to use as an example. Uh, and um, But it extends to things like your Kraken account is a custodial account, obviously your bank account is a custodial account, but it also goes into weirder directions. For example, uh, you could say that your Netflix subscription is also a custodial relationship because you pay upfront and then you expect the service in return uh, stretched over a window of 30 days, for example. So uh, if you really want to go into a nuance, you can see uh, custodial systems almost everywhere. And uh, so the way these systems are all built, and this is not because uh, these are evil people, because, but uh, this is how you can build these systems, is using uh, user tables, databases of transactions. So essentially, um, a Wallet of Satoshi server knows that um, user uh, Walker has an account, and there are 120 Satoshis uh, in his account, and she received them in the last three payments from this user, from this user, and that user. So, there is a um, perfect log of all the transactions for every user in every custodial system and that is because that's just how they work. So, this is not to track you. This is just to make sure that you can do accounting correctly. So, any of the systems that I I mentioned work like that. Now, eCash is basically an inverted version of that. With eCash, The server, that is the custodian, so now let's imagine Wallet of Satoshi was a cashew um, mint. So in that case, they they would not hold a database of users uh, and how much they have and so on, but instead they would give out digital bearer tokens, e-cash tokens to every user and the balance of every user would be determined by how much e-cash they have on their phone. So there is no database uh, in which it says Walker has one hundred and twenty thousand satoshis, but your balance as the user, uh, as, as a user, is determined by how much eCash you have stored in your phone, for example. So the, the the server doesn't have a concept of an individual user. The server also doesn't know how much each individual user transacts and with whom they transact. The only thing now, when you want to send me, let's say five hundred satoshis from your um, from a Cashew wallet and in that case, well, the Satoshi would be a cashew wallet, then what you would do is you take some piece of that digital data and you send it to me over any kind of communication medium. It could be a Telegram message or a QR code or something. And I would take this data and store it on my phone again. And so that's how the balance would uh, basically switch owners from one person to another. And the server, in the meantime, only makes sure that this cannot be double spent, but doesn't know which user interacted with which user. And that's what gives uh, eCash this uh, quote-unquote near-perfect privacy. And I say near-perfect privacy because I like to be pedantic on this. Uh, there is no perfect privacy in the universe. I guess this can almost be stated as a mathematical fact. But it's also important to, um, to mention uh, the the conditions in which the privacy could be uh, decremented also in an e system. One thing to be uh, aware of is that every time you talk to a Mint there is an IP address, for example, associated with your request. So even if the Mint doesn't know uh, which user user you are, there is a chance for the Mint to figure out which IP address does which uh, request with the server and therefore they could deduce some kind of properties of your wallet with that. However, you can also fix that you can use things like Tor. Um, There are also uh, methods to do the communication to the Mint via a network like Noster where you don't see the IP addresses of the users. So there are ways to also uh, mitigate this risk a bit more, but it's uh, still something um, that is that everyone should be um, should be cognizant about.
1: I think that that's a a good way of explaining because like, uh, you can almost think of privacy, like sovereignty, where Uh, you know, there's no perfect sovereignty, right? And there's no truly perfect privacy. You're kind of uh, a curve asymptotically approaching that line. You can get closer and closer and closer to it, but you're never going to be, you know, totally at one. You're always going to be at, you know, 0.999, whatever repeating. You can never quite get exactly there, but you can do a lot of things to get yourself as close to there as possible much like bitcoin will never exactly hit 21 million it'll hit like just below there right so it's it's about giving yourself the tools to be able to at least move along that curve to get a little bit closer uh to get near perfect but i think that that is an important uh, the the pedantic description is 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 good there because it you know uh we want to be honest about this like there are always going to be trade-offs, right? If you're trying to increase your own personal sovereignty and value open source technology, then head to bitbox.swiss walker and use the promo code walker for 5% off the Bitcoin only BitBox O2 hardware wallet. It's easy as hell to use whether you're new to Bitcoin or a seasoned psychopath. It's Bitcoin only, and again, it's fully open source. You can head to their GitHub and check for yourself. There is no need to trust me. When you go to bitbox.swiss walker and use the promo code walker, not only do you get 5% off, but you also help support another fucking Bitcoin podcast. This one, so thank you. And I think one of those trade-offs that you might see people, uh, I'm sure maybe you've gotten some pushback about this too, is uh, eCash uh, is a, it is a custodial solution itself. Right, uh, whether that be uh, fediment and maybe we can a little bit later go into kind of the distinction between Cashew versus Fetiment, like one being a uh, more community-based uh, n number of uh, mint uh, mint operators versus you know the one. But it is a custodial solution, but it has significant uh, advantages over what we think of as a lightning custodial solution, such as Wallet of Satoshi. Wallet of Satoshi is a great, uh, great you know platform. Uh it I no longer can use it in the USA, unfortunately, uh, which is, you know, again, one of the the risks of being a little bit more centralized is they're worried about playing by certain rules, and I can't blame them. The US not is not always the most friendly. Uh so unfortunately, I mean I can run it on a VPN, but technically I can't download it anymore on the US App Store. That's a bummer. Uh but can you maybe explain a little bit because uh, you've gone into a bit of the difference, okay while Satoshi has all of these, uh, you know, these tables, all of these, uh, they're not trying to track you, but they need to have that information as a way of doing business versus eCash where basically you don't need to know anything about it. Like I just downloaded the, uh, the E-Nuts wallet today uh, and confused uh, yourself and the actual developer of it uh, on Twitter in a, a classic blunder on my part. Uh, but I loved going in there and seeing that there's you know, no data collected um there is there is nothing that needs to be collected there but can we talk a little bit specifically about the fact that the ecash tokens are actually locally being stored on your device they're they're not somewhere else there's not somebody that can rug you uh from like what's on your phone but a mint itself can be rugged to a certain extent can you talk about that kind of because i think that's where people get a little bit confused
0: yes So let's make that very, very clear from the beginning. Uh, The eCash solutions that we're building on Bitcoin today are custodial. So no one should be confused about that. And if you're not interested in custodial solutions, you you should definitely stay away from these technologies because it is uh, something where you give up your Bitcoin to the custody of a service provider. And that service provider then um, promises you a certain service. In that, in that case, it would be uh, re, uh, honoring your redemption when you want to get your uh, Bitcoin back, for example. So just that upfront, and uh, I understand that many people are not interested in custodial solutions, and that is totally fine. Bitcoin gives us finally the option, finally the option to not care about custodial solutions. Bitcoin is the only option that basically allows us uh, to do that. And um, when you think of the fiat system, however, there is essentially no other way to be non-custodial than to have the cash under your mattress. There is no non-custodial digital way to transact with fiat. Now, why am why am I saying this? Is uh, I'm a let's say incremental improver. Uh, I think it is worth improving systems that we already use, even if they are not perfect. And you could also argue that Bitcoin itself is not perfect. For example, it doesn't scale to 8 billion people without any uh, significant changes that we would have to make. Um, And uh, also custodial systems are uh, not perfect. Uh, Indeed, they are pretty bad in terms of uh, your privacy. And also they have the custodial risk that you can be rugged at any moment. And eCash does not improve on that. So eCash does not improve the rugability of a custodian. So the custodian, um, let's say the operator of Wallet of Satoshi, and I'm not implying that they would ever do that. I also like Wallet of Satoshi a lot, but it's just an example that many people know. Uh, the uh, operator of Wallet of Satoshi could uh, close down shop at any moment or could be forced to close down shop and all the Bitcoin that is on their node would be unavailable to their users. Right, so and uh, eCash solutions do not improve on this problem. So, what eCash does improve is to take custodial systems that already exist and add the almost perfect privacy on top of that. So, in that sense, it is an incremental improvement of something that already exists, and I think that's worth pursuing, especially if you look at the real world uh, activity of. Bitcoiners, especially in the small transaction size realm where we are talking about uh, zaps and tips and small payments online, most people use Lightning for that and most people actually use custodial Lightning for that and not uh, their own note. Of course, we have to educate everyone to be uh, non-custodial as much as they can, but uh, we won't reach any point in a reasonable uh, short future where we will be able to transact with 200 Satoshis in a non-custodial way with Bitcoin. And it's it's not even truly the case with Lightning. Some uh, Lightning uh, uh, pros out there will know that for a... uh, transaction size below the dust limit for example not even a lightning payment is uh, truly enforceable um, until it's until it's actually uh, finished so uh, we we have this problem and this is a real a real real problem now um, with ecash as i said you can uh, improve custodial systems and um, maybe it would make sense to again go one step back and think like uh, talk about this distinction between custodial Bitcoin but non-custodial eCash and how that uh, comes together and um, um, the way that we it comes together in the way that we built these systems today. So um, a Cashew uh, server which could be run by anyone so you can imagine this is maybe a company that uh, runs a wallet or this could also be an online shop where you can uh, charge a balance or something like that. Um, That company or service provider uh, takes your uh, Bitcoin and gives you eCash in return. And as I said before, eCash is a bearer instrument token, so it is a token that the Mint generates for you, and that is worth, let's say, 200 Satoshis. So you gave the Mint 200 Satoshis on the Lightning Network, and what you get back is a piece of digital data that is worth 200 satoshis and that's a bearer token and that is you know when you remember my very first example in this, in this recording today i mentioned this contract that you blind sign that the mint blind signs this contract is ecash so in digital form this is a piece of ecash now it gives you back this ecash and then you store it on your device, and then, and I mean that literally, it is stored on the drive of your device and has no trace on the server because the server doesn't actually know what it's looked like because it closed its eyes, did this blind signing that I explained before. So uh, you have eCash in your wallet, and there is Bitcoin on the server's wallet. So the Bitcoin is custodial, but the eCash itself cannot be taken away from you because no one knows. Uh, has, has ever seen the eCash except you and uh, that's the nice thing about uh e-cash in general because now if the server would like to censor for example you Walker because you did so many bad jokes on Noster and you should be punished for that for example then the server in a classical sense could say I don't like Walker I'm going to turn off his money and your account would be frozen but with eCash, you cannot do that because, first of all, the, user, the, the server doesn't know about you. There is no account or anything. You just hold eCash, and the server cannot take away your eCash because it doesn't know what it looks like. It has never seen it before. It cannot even censor your eCash. So there is only one thing that the mint operator can do: is either rug everyone, so take the Bitcoin and run, and then the server is uh, basically down. And this is the same risk that, for example, I explained, like Wallet of Satoshi could close down and it's over. Uh, or no one, so, or rock no one. There is no way to specifically censor one specific user that I don't like. And that's the beauty of eCash. And something also, I think, is a bit unintuitive because as Bitcoiners, we also always know censorship resistance uh, and we equate it with uh, custody, basically, or having, uh, you know, being sovereign. And uh, that is very strongly coupled in the case of Bitcoin. But what eCash taught me is also in a non in a custodial system, uh, like with eCash, you can still be censorship resistant. And that's uh, maybe surprising for some, because uh, usually you wouldn't expect that something where you have to trust the custodian um, is not able to censor any specific user. And that is the case with, with eCash.
1: I think that that's a really interesting, uh... It, you're right. It's a bit counterintuitive, but it's an important point. You know, yes, it's either, it's either rug all or rug none. It's like the, uh, there is greater privacy and greater censorship resistance when there's strength in numbers. It's like the, the zebra, you know, the, the zebra by itself sticks out. Right. But a zebra in a herd is just a bunch of stripes. You can't tell who is what they're, they're all the same. Right. And so you can't single out a particular zebra you need to decimate the entire herd right but in with ecash there there is still the ruggability at the server side from the mint operator to take all of that bitcoin in which case then that's not going to be a trusted mint operator anymore nobody's going to use if you know if you rug everybody nobody's going to use anything you create in the future uh, and you can't just rug one person you can't single out walker for his his terrible jokes and say I'm get, you know, I'm taking just that guy's Bitcoin. So I think that that's a really important distinction there. And one that is easily lost because we tend to, as you said, we tend to think, okay, you're either, uh, you know, totally unruggable or you are ruggable. But in this case, yeah, you're ruggable, but only if every other person is also rugged. So it doesn't remove that risk. It just removes your ability to be individually censored uh, because you are have that near perfect privacy, and you can't be distinguished from that other herd of uh, of Bitcoin zapping zebras, um, which is kind of a nice a nice visual that maybe I'll have to have AI generate. Um, <laughs> uh, so actually, and and this is a um, a good segue into a question that uh, was posted on uh, on Nostr uh, that somebody wanted me to ask you: uh, Is eCash cryptographically ver- uh, verifiable in an offline state? So it's being, uh, you know, is the, like, can you verify, yes, this is in fact a, you know, my eCash token, it, it is here, it is uh, related to this Mint, even if you are offline and don't have connection to the Mint at that time.
0: Okay, so we're starting to get into the interesting bits uh, of, of the crazy things that you can do with eCash, because right now we've spent quite some time in explaining how the custodial risk uh, uh, situation is and the privacy but eCash offers also uh, some cryptographic magic that you can use to build uh, really cool systems. So to answer the question, um, uh, eCash tokens themselves, they have a signature of the Mint. So as I explained in the very beginning, there is a contract that you have written, the Mint has never seen, and there is a signature of the Mint on that contract. So anyone can verify that signature. That means that if I show you uh, you're offline and if I show you a uh, piece of eCash token, you can because you have remembered the public key of the mint before. You can verify the signature and say yes, this was actually signed by the mint. Uh, however, so uh, we haven't we haven't uh, talked about this, but maybe it would make sense to do it right now. What an ordinary uh, eCash transaction usually looks like. So, um, so imagine uh, I have some eCash in my wallet. It's stored in my wallet. And Walker, I want to send you two hundred satoshis. Now. Um, As I explained before, maybe uh, the the smart, attentive uh, listener already noticed that I was sending you a bearer token via QR code, for example. What uh, what basically uh, hinders me from double-spending the same token to another user? Let's say you want to sell me an apple, I give you the token and um, while you're giving me the apple, I buy a banana with the same token And now I have a banana and an apple, but I I paid both of them with the same piece of money. And that would be obviously bad. So uh, for a normal eCash transaction to finish, we still have to make one more step, which is I take the token and I send it to you. And now before you give me the apple, you take the token and you send it back to the Mint and say to the Mint, hey Mint, here's a 200 Satoshi token that you have never seen, but please give me another one in return and burn this one. So the Mint basically, upon receiving, you will send it to the Mint and receive a new token immediately. And with that, I'm not able to spend the same token that I gave you to another person. So that's how the Mint makes sure that eCash cannot be double spent. So, uh, that is cool. That is usually how every uh, normal eCash transaction would work. But now, what happens if you're offline? Let's say you now, as a receiver, uh, you're offline and you cannot talk to the Mint immediately. So one thing that uh, I could do is I could give you eCash with a signature and um, send it to you. And while you're offline, you're able to verify the signature of the Mint and at least know that this is a valid token. It was validly signed by the Mint, so uh, this token was created at some point. However, the transaction is still not complete because uh, you don't know whether I've spent this token, even though you verified the signature, uh, whether I spent this token to anyone else. And so how could you fix that? And uh, to uh, enable truly offline payments where the receiver can remain fully offline, but the payment cannot be double spent, you have to uh, do some, a, little, a few tricks before. And uh, the trick we use here is called pay to pubkey and pay to pubkey is a transaction type that we also know from Bitcoin and essentially what pay to pubkey means is that you as a receiver now uh, you would give me your public key and it, it's usually in Bitcoin it's in form of a, a Bitcoin address. A Bitcoin address is a public key uh, so to speak in the a, in a most basic case and now uh, what I can do is I can spend Bitcoin to a public key and that means in the in the uh, blockchain there will be an entry that says from kali to walker's public key sent 200 satoshis and now uh, the transaction now f- for you in order to be able to spend this bitcoin again you would have to make a signature that proves that you have the private key to the public key that you have given me before so that's how it works Bitcoin, you give me your public key, and I send money to your public key, and you can only spend it once you give a signature from your public key that only you can do. That's how we secure most normal Bitcoin transactions. So with eCash we can do something quite similar to that, and it was indeed also inspired by basically how Bitcoin works. And what we do essentially is the same uh, situation as before, you are offline and I am online, and I want to pay you. Uh, Let's say you have a little small uh, like pharma store shop and uh, you want to sell apples but your internet connection is bad. You can still receive eCash that cannot be double spent by giving your public key in form of a QR code for example and what I can do now with the eCash on my phone for example, I can send it once to the Mint and redeem it for new e-cash, but this new eCash cash is a little bit more special. This new eCash cash that I redeem for my own eCash cash is now locked to a public key. Similar like a Bitcoin transaction is locked to a public key. So... I just communicate with the mint once and uh, redeem, like, send the mint two hundred satoshis from my uh, phone, and I I I received two hundred satoshis again from the mint. But this time, I cannot spend these two hundred satoshis anymore. Only you can spend these two hundred satoshis because it's locked to your public key. And that means now, while you can be offline, I can send you this eCash token, and you can just look at it. Essentially, just look at it, verify the signature of the mint and say okay this is okay and then verify that it was indeed locked to your public key and say this is okay and then the transaction is complete and this is quite magical because this token now once you have seen it only you just have to perceive the token once you can be sure that it cannot be double spent by anyone else and the transaction is complete. So this is cool because you don't have internet, there is a final transaction, we just did a half-offline transaction, and that's very cool. But uh, this idea, you can just go crazy with this idea, and this is what we're doing, obviously. Um, for example, what you can do with this is also ultra-fast payments. And like I need to say ultra-ultra, or some uh, some uh, even more uh, extreme form of that word, because I think this is the, most, the fastest possible payment that I can think of, is now imagine you're an offline service provider. Uh, sorry, you're not offline, you're a service provider and you want to sell me individual with vid- video frames of a YouTube video. Right? So you want to get paid 25 times a second. Let's say you want that. Now what I could do as a user of your of your uh, service, I could take eCash and pre-lock all of the eCash to your public key and keep it on my drive and then send for each frame that I request from you, I can send you eCash during a direct channel between us and you can just look at the eCash. You don't even have to do a round trip with the Mint, which would take some time. You can literally just look at it and store it in your database and and the transaction is complete. And with that, I can send thousands of payments to you that all will succeed with 100% certainty And that all will take maybe, I don't know, 15 milliseconds or depending on the internet connection between us two, to uh, reach you. And uh, so this is something that we're exploring. And uh, with this payment types, you can uh, probably scale this to the thousands of payments per second type of situations uh, for extreme streaming kind of situations uh, where you want to do value for value on a... I don't know, uh, second or millisecond basis, or a couple of hundred millisecond basis, and so
1: on. That is a pretty wild uh, concept to think about, and and the your explanation of the kind of offline ver- uh, verifiability makes a lot more sense to me now because that's something I was kind of wondering about as well. I was glad to see this question get asked. It means I'm I'm not alone in my curiosity there. So that's basically for to just very simply uh, recap. If you have these eCash tokens and you want to send them to me and I'm offline, as long as, uh, you know, one person, you have a connection to the Mint, you can lock them to my public key. And then when you receive those back, I cannot go and send those to, uh, you know, to, to Pablo or to, to Will. They are, uh, or excuse me, you cannot. They are just locked to Walker. That is mm-hmm. now Walker's eCash. And when I come back online, re- uh, connect with the Mint, I will then have those eCash bearer tokens in my own custody, correct?
0: Exactly. That's exactly how it works, yeah.
1: That's really, I mean, really cool. And the uh, the ability for, so this is, uh, when you talk about micropayments kind of at scale and at ultra, ultra, ultra speed, we're talking actually faster than Lightning has the capability of communicating to, right? It's actually a, like on another level from Lightning, or do you put it at, Comparable to lightning.
0: Oh, yeah, it's it's strictly faster than lightning. So um, lightning is already pretty fast if it works Well, right, you can get a lightning payment in under a second, but I'm talking below uh, a few dozens milliseconds here. So um, A lightning payment can also be very fast in special cases. For example, when you have a direct channel, and you don't do any lightning routing you can also get to very impressive speeds with lightning but most payments uh, won't be over a direct channel for some high speed applications that might actually be useful to set up a certain uh, situation where you have a direct connection between two participants of a transaction but in the normal case uh, this won't be the ca- uh, this won't be so you would usually do a couple of uh, hops until you reach the destination and then information again needs to travel backwards for the transaction to be complete here in this case, uh, I, can, I could send it to you via a laser signal and then we could do a transaction with the speed of light basically, as long as you can read the data then verify the signature and store it in your database. And that's all you need to do and I mean in, in, for fast modern computers uh, these operations don't take more than one millisecond together. So most of the time is spent on the way to you through the internet but uh, with a techn- like with something like a QR code scanner, for example, then that's pretty much instant yes.
1: That is really uh, quite cool uh, to think about that you know lightning already being uh, insanely lightning fast, but to take that to another level where you are you're talking about really uh, as near real time as you could just about possibly get with this while still also dealing with a bearer instrument, which is pretty powerful. And I think that that's maybe one thing, uh, at least for me and I I think for some others probably when first hearing about eCash is something that maybe trips people up a little bit because they hear about uh, eCash and these eCash tokens. And perhaps it's because of all of the uh, crypto world jargon that's thrown around uh, about tokens and everything else, people get a little bit confused and think, well, Hold on. Am I not dealing with Bitcoin here? And I think what you, you've kind of explained in these uh, couple of these previous notes that you've made is that the the Bitcoin these are represent or these are uh, bearer assets that allow you to redeem Bitcoin from the server. The server, the mint operator, mint issuer has the Bitcoin. These are bearer tokens in your custody that allow you give you the claim basically to say I want this Bitcoin. Uh, right now I want the, you know, 69, 420 Satoshis, however many it is, but I have the digital bear instrument that allows me to do that. And something something you touched on earlier is something I've actually been, been thinking about a lot recently, which is in the fiat world, the only way to custody, to actually have self custody of your, of your fiat tokens, your dollars in my case is to have them in cash you know, literally physical cash, that is the only way. There is no way to have custody, actual self-custody of digital fiat instruments. It's it's impossible. It's always, I mean, even if, uh, I mean, in the case of a CBDC, you would still, you, know, you certainly don't have custody then if it's on your, your Fed, federal reserve wallet, they can rug individual users with startling precision and accuracy. It is, you know, and if you're using a bank, we all know the money in your bank is not really yours. They're they're holding a uh, an IOU for you, but that can also be taken from you. You know, uh, so I think that that's a really important thing that is often lost. Yeah, cash is cash is wonderful. I found myself starting to use physical cash more the deeper I started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole because I was like, well, man, uh, you know, cash is actually pretty wonderful. I can just hand this to somebody and it's theirs and nobody else needs to be watching this transaction. That's a beautiful thing. Ecash is now giving you the ability to have that digital cash-like bearer transaction with the same amount of privacy. Um, you know, because cash, okay, you and I give each other a, a, you know, I give you a ten-dollar bill. Somebody could still be watching and sees that I handed you a ten-dollar bill. Sure, it's not perfect privacy there either, but it's near perfect, especially compared to uh, using a debit card, using a credit card, using whatever else. So that's a pretty, uh, pretty incredible thing, I think. Um, Maybe I'd like to talk a little bit about the uh, overlap between eCash and Noster and how you've uh, now it was you that created uh, npub dot cash, right? Uh, no, that is. It was wrong. also not you, man. I am. I just assume anything to do with with nuts and uh, is, is just related to you. So this is again. No, I, 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 need, I need to make, to make some clear. apologies
0: <laughs> i work a lot on cashew and i started it and uh, but um, most of the work that people see today especially the visual stuff in apps and all the beautiful things that people have been building is from the community so there are um, many different developers who are building on their own project on the cashew protocol and um, i can recommend for example the uh, uh, Cash wallet or for Android users also the minibits.cash wallet. These are two very excellent uh, phone wallets that you can try today to play around with Charming eCash and Cashew. And npop.cash uh, was made by another hacker, not me, and that is uh, a website that allows you to receive eCash tokens using a NOSTA public key. Um, should we talk about what we do on NASA with eCash?
1: I would love to yeah and and I'd like to apologize also to the uh to the developers out there I'll make sure to get the uh I'll link all of this in the show notes so I can give proper attribution, but for anyone listening, I apologize
0: <laughs> <laughs> no worries I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure they will forgive you so um uh noster yeah so uh as as I said before for eCash to be transmitted from one person to a person, you need some sort of a communication channel and um <clears throat> the easiest way of doing it today and, you know, remember an eCache token is a bare instrument and what it actually looks like for a user is it looks like a random piece of string. It's a piece of data like a scrambled random piece of string that always starts with cashew. And you can copy this piece of string and you can put it into an email and send it to your grandma, for example, and your grandma will see this piece of uh, data in the email and then just take it and put it in her eCash wallet. So that's how the transaction could work. Um, You can also do it with uh, QR codes or whatever you want basically to send around data between phone and phone and user and user and so on. So now, obviously, uh, as Bitcoiners, we're uh, very focused on, on Nostr as a, a social network that, uh, that an unruggable social network that cannot be turned off. And so on Nostr, uh, and it turned out pretty quickly when we started working on Cashew, which was coincidentally very close to uh, when Nostr got, uh, was picking up. Um, we noticed very early that Noster is an ideal place to send around eCash uh, from and to users, um, because it has several very nice uh, features that we can make use of in Cashew. So, um, first of all, in Noster everyone has an identity. Uh, you have an NPUB, everyone knows that that's you, it's not just an impersonator, uh, I can look up your follower count and see this is indeed you and it's legit and so on. So there's kind of a uh, identity and a web of trust already just by being a social network with people interacting with each other and that is already a huge huge thing. I think it's uh, still undervalued this property of Nostr, and uh, I have to remind like the, the last successful attempt at doing something like that was PGP and it's very very old like you would have key servers and people would have to attest that they know you and so on like it was very uh, very chaotic and not really useful at least from the point of view of today. And with Noster you just get that for free by just following someone, shit posting with them, interacting, and then you get some credibility that this is indeed the person. And so we have that. And at the same time we also have a network to send around uh, notes and other things transmitted over relays, right? So um, while most users know Noster from uh, this, its social media application side, uh, many app developers also really love Noster because they can use these identities uh, on a network that also provides you the rails to send the data to these identities. And in the case for uh, Cashew, uh, what we do is essentially um, I think all Cashew wallets today have some sort of Noster capability and what you can do in them is you just uh, when you have your uh, wallet open which says a thousand satoshis in your ballots for example you can click on a, on a contacts tab and then you will see all your friends that you follow on Nostr. and with a click of a button you can just send money to them even if they don't have a cash wallet uh, you can just take a piece of eCash from your wallet and send it over an encrypted direct message to them so what they will see if they don't have a cash wallet they will just see a random string appear and if they have a NOSTA client that shows them the eCash in a nicely visual rendered form like in Amethyst and in, uh, Snort and I think I believe it's coming to uh, Primal and it's already also in uh, Nostrudel I think so then it will show up as a nicely rendered eCash to- uh, payment made to you so you will see that Kali just sent you a DM and in that DM there was some money for you. And if you have a, a cashew wallet that supports receiving a NOSTER it might even see that automatically and immediately you will see it in your wallet balance just go up. So I can pay you directly using a NOSTER relay between us basically and only you can read uh, the message because it's a direct message that is encrypted. So, uh, this is what we have been uh, focusing on so far and this is what the apps have built. And now in the last couple of days, we have uh, you know, uh, more uh, fascinating and interesting stuff coming up. So, one thing that you mentioned already is npup.cache. And this is, a, uh, this is a service that uh, basically gives every user a lightning address, whether they know it or not. So, uh, uh, with Npub.cash, you can basically it generates an infinite amount of the different uh, lightning addresses. So you can think uh, your npub, so it might be this scrambled number, your npub NPAP at npub is a lightning address that works. And if anyone sends Bitcoin to that lightning address, uh, it the the lightning payment to that address will be converted into eCash nuts, and they will be stored or waiting for you to pick up on Nostr, but they will be stored until you come back online. And then you can go to npub.cash, log in with your uh, Noster uh, signing extension, so there are no user signups or accounts or any shenanigans like that. Uh, you just sign up with your signing extension, and then you see the eCash waiting there for you that was generated while you were offline. With a click of a button, you can either pay directly to your Lightning wallet or you can redeem the eCash directly on a, on a different uh, um, cashew wallet. So uh, this is one project I'm uh, very excited about because we're building it in a general way so that it can be used also by other cashew wallets as a backend for lightning addresses. So instead of every cashew wallet having to implement some way to do lightning addresses for them, um, we imagine that Cash uh, will will have a nice API that can be used by anyone, also be run by anyone themselves. So it doesn't have to be lost uh, on, on that domain. And you can get a lightning address support for every eCash wallet, basically that way.
1: That is, it's really cool. And I, I just, uh, yesterday or the day before, I started playing around with, uh, with npub.cache. And for anyone listening, you can just go to npub.cache on your browser and you can try this out. You can claim a username uh, for a few sats or you can just use your, as uh, as Kylie said, your existing npub and then it'll just be at, at npub.cache. It's really easy to use. Um, and I just, you know, signed in, uh, it was using Albi. Uh, so just, you know, use that browser extension to securely uh, sign and then I'm good to go. It was super easy. Um, I'm curious because there's a little bit of a difference between that and eNuts. Now eNuts. When I was uh, setting that up, uh, which is now live on the uh, on the App Store, I think the Play Store too. I'm not sure, but I know the App Store for sure because uh, I just downloaded it today. You can search eNuts. Uh, on there, I d- uh, did not have to do any sort of did not have to sign it with my private key. I just had to put in my public key, and then it said that it was deriving a special private key. Uh, for me based on that public key. So there was no uh, no need to do any sort of secure sign in there, and no data collected, of course. Can you explain the difference there? So that's not, uh, th- is that basically specific to the eNuts wallet then on my device? It's driving a new private key for me based on my public key because I populated my whole address book. I sent I sent 69 uh, sats to you in the form of uh, some some eCash because uh, it was super easy. I just searched for Calais, boom. All my Noster contacts are imported, I sent it, done. But can you explain the difference there between uh, kind of npub.cache versus enuts and maybe if there's, uh, you mentioned opening up an API for npub.cache, that obviously gives a lot more interoperability uh, benefits, but are there some other benefits to the uh, deriving a new private key from the public key like enuts does?
0: Uh, so this is something that uh, the developers of both ENADs and MiniBits are currently exploring: is what are the UX implications for both of these methods? Because um, so. Um, It would be best if the developers themselves would comment on this, but uh, from what I have uh, witnessed there, there was in the beginning uh, also a concern about privacy and data safety to ask users to enter their uh, NSEC, so their NOSTA private keys, into yet another application. Um, That means that if you don't want to do that, that means that the app that you're using cannot read your direct messages. So what I just explained with someone sending you uh, eCash to your uh, Nostra account, uh, the wallet wouldn't be able to see that. In order to circumvent that, uh, both applications, uh, Minibits and Enuts, do it slightly differently, but essentially they uh, derive you a new set of keys. So it's a new private key that is only associated with that wallet and all the direct messages to that private key and public key pair that are going there will end up in your inbox that the wallet can then pick up. So it adds uh, definitely some privacy. Not everyone uh, on the, on the NOSTA network can see who paid whom because on NOSTA you can uh, see all the activity Uh, metadata and so um, it definitely improves the privacy however it also causes some uh, a little bit of confusion for the user itself because the user now uh, needs to know uh, okay I have my social key now I have my wallet key and then there is another key and so uh, this has to be communicated either very mindfully to the user or some other um, technique should uh, be considered I guess so uh, they might want to consider also entering your NSEC uh, at eventually, I don't know, or using something like an NSEC bunker what Pablo is working on, so have a remote signing uh, software running somewhere else that can sign uh, without you having to enter your, your uh, um, uh, private keys into the wallet itself. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day both uh, work with nostr identities so um, as well as uh, npub.cache or enards and bit, uh, mini bits, and the idea is uh, mostly the same. Uh, I want to be able to know your uh, npub or a npub that reaches you, and I'm just throwing ecash to that npub, and whoever has the private keys for that npub can read the ecash and then redeem the ecash.
1: Okay okay so there like with anything there are some trade-offs the uh, version that Enuts is using could be argued that perhaps it's a little bit more private because it's not actually uh, associating like it's creating a, a new identity derived from your existing uh, social NPUB that you're using So it's you know uh, it's again a question of optionality, a question of choice what does the user want to do uh, if they want to use you know npub.cash great, that'll be signed with their uh, private key via signing extension. If they want to use nuts, they just need the public key and you'll get a new private key derived from that and some, some trade-offs to both. But okay, I, I appreciate that clarification because I was kind of uh, wondering a little bit about that there. Um, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about just uh, where you know what are what else are you excited about in terms of building on Nostr or the implementations that may be possible that are that are now made possible on Nostr because of eCash? Uh, do you think this is you know you mentioned that a lot of these Nostr clients are implementing uh, implementing cash shoe already, so that they'll be able to have that back in back end and interface with all of these other services that are being built around eCash? But are, you know what else as you look toward the future. Uh, what are you kind of excited about there that you see while wow, this is something be- with these two things together, Noster and and eCash, we can now do things that we could have only, you know, uh, hope for at an earlier stage?
0: Um, so I think what what uh, comes to my mind here uh, is especially um, Improving Zaps on Nostr. Right now, we have uh, everyone knows Zaps and loves Zaps, and it's also one of the reasons that Nostr is so uh, extremely fun to use. Is that you can get Lightning Zaps, uh, a Lightning tip, small, very small Lightning payment to a post that you make, and if it's a good post, then you get even more, and that that really drives the social uh, layer of Nostr, and um, that is great, I think. But one of the um, one of the downsides of this is first of all uh, obviously it drives people to use custodial systems. Um, we have seen from statistics that mm, I think around 90% of all the Lightning addresses on Noser are uh, custodial. And I would argue uh, using a in eCash custodian would be strictly better for your privacy there. So there is definitely something that we can improve in what we do today just by using, for example, more using cash wallets and building cash wallets. Um, But another thing that I think we will be able to do very soon, this is something that we're working on kind of right now, is to also do zaps that are not Lightning, but zaps that are eCash. So, uh, we want to be able to uh, tip a post or a person very similarly uh, in the UX like it is right now, but the payment will not be a Lightning payment, but it will be an eCash payment, and that eCash token, and it's perfect again for Nostr because the token, the, the data itself is the payment. So you don't have to query a Lightning server, and then the Lightning server has to respond back to the Nostr network and give some sort of a certificate. And this is how Zaps work today. It's kind of a complicated thing, but it it must be it must be done like that um, because uh, the Nostr network itself doesn't have any way to verify that the payment was made actually. So the the a lightning service provider that receives this app actually gives back a receipt uh, for everyone to to see and then render that you know 200 satoshis was was tipped to this post. So uh, we want to improve that with eCash, namely by uh, combining all of the things that we have already talked about today. So uh, um, it will be possible to you know you will write a post on Nostr, and if I like this post in my Noster client. I'll just press a zap button and instead of doing a lightning payment, it will take some eCash from my balance and just uh, and lock it to your public, to your NPUB. So we can lock the eCash to your NPUB. Very the same thing as I explained before with paid public key. And we can also give this proof of the signature so that I can post this uh, this eCash token, just check that it's a valid signature from the Mint and you can just look at the eCash and see that the signature is indeed valid. And They can also check that this eCash token was locked to the intended recipient. So for example, I'm zapping you, everyone can check this is actually your nPub. So they can see that there was indeed, there must have been a payment from one user to another user for this specific post. And that's all you you need, basically, in order to be able to render uh, the the zap counter in your NOSTA client. And then everyone will see that 200 Satoshis have been zapped to that post. And this is really cool because it opens up uh, many new possibilities of things that you can do. For example, uh, the clients themselves could, first of all, uh, the Nostra clients themselves could first of all just decide that they will only render ZAPs from uh, eCash mints that they know that they are legit. So it's not, they could decide that only a set of mints will be rendered and the other ones are just uh, random mints that they don't like or don't know or don't trust so uh, they wouldn't render them that's possible another thing that is also possible is um, that you can even use this with different currencies so uh, eCash itself as i said is a separate technology from bitcoin but we are building it on bitcoin and for bitcoin but uh, so I know that Fiat Jeff would like to uh, separate Nostum more from Bitcoin uh, because um, there is this, this need for more users from a diverse uh, group, more diverse group than just Bitcoiners. I mean, you could argue about that, whether it's a good idea or not. But if you would want to do that, you could even do, I don't know, Fiat Zaps if you like, or some other currency or just do Zaps. Maybe that are not backed by anything. It's just a uh, play money, a zap money that was issued by the Noster Relay or something like that. So it gives you more uh, flexibility for the payment, actual payment uh, currency that you want to support. And it allows you to do uh, crazy scripting on top of the eCash. So you could do, I don't know, a multi-sig eCash zap, or do an eCash zap with a timeout that you can redeem back if the user didn't redeem it in, a, in, in let's say, in a two-week period, and things like that. So uh, all of these things are are then just possible with eCash because you can, because you can use all the different features of eCash and just use it uh, on top of a social network
1: that's that's really cool I mean do you think that we see uh like individual noster clients just becoming uh, uh, mints themselves so they say look you can you know uh, we'll we'll basically issue tokens uh, as you know we'll be the we'll be the server here we're already providing you with the service like basically you see you start to see more integration between the uh, the cash wallet and the noster client just kind of blending into one almost is that something or do you think they'll stay more? Uh, more separate and just kind of tie into each other as we're sort of seeing now?
0: I think for now, uh, it will probably stay more separate because um, these are two very different uh, um, obligations or responsibilities, running a Mint and running uh, or running a Noster Relay or uh, writing a client for Noster. Um, However, I can see uh, how these things merge in the future because eCash allows you to also monetize uh, all sorts of things on your own like digital monetization of your content or service on the internet so i myself i imagine ecash mints to not only be run for custody for for bitcoin wallets the way that we're using them today but they can also be run uh, in the backend of a digital service provider so i mentioned already the video streaming service for example that might want to run mint just for the video streaming service so uh, now we're not talking about an interoperable money uh, like Satoshis, but we're talking about uh, access right to a service that is paid by Satoshis. So you can do these closed systems of eCache uh, where you just uh, want to provide your users perfect privacy and enjoy all the other cool things that you can do with eCash. and uh, there might be this video uh, service. But it could also be a NOSTA Relay Provider and I believe uh, a Nostra Relay Provider could um, could try to fund its operations like that very easily, so you could offer uh, um, you could just run an e cash mint next to your No relay, and users of the Na relay would have to uh, top up a balance and you would maybe get like a certain percentage of that as as some kind of a fee, and the rest could be used for zaps, for example. so I, I can imagine how services generally trying to monetize will use cash because it just is way easier to integrate than a normal uh, table-based custodial system where you need user data and so on and so forth. With an eCash Mint, you just run the Mint. It just checks for double spending and that's it. So it's much easier to implement on one side. At the same time, you also get like perfect privacy for the users, which is a great thing to offer, obviously.
1: Okay, okay. Well, I'm excited to see kind of how this continues to evolve because just you know, uh, playing around with it already, it's... Uh, it's, it's just fun. And b- by the way, uh, how did you decide to just uh, to call cashew cashew and to call uh, eCash nuts? And like, w- w- is, was it just a fuck it, let me let me name it this? Or was there uh, is there something like technical behind it that gave you the idea to call it that?
0: Well, actually, uh, it's a good question. So it's definitely a uh, fuck it, we'll go with this type of situation. Definitely the energy is very, you know, joke heavy and we like to have fun. I mean, we're spending most of our time working on this stuff. So we, we demand to have fun while doing so. And this is our attempt by just making everything a bit more joyful by making jokes. And our theme is nut based because, um, I think it started with the word cashew because you have cash in the word cashew and I just love cashews. Just literally true. I'm, I'm doing a little OPSEC fail here, but I'll tell you, I eat my 200 grams of cashews every day uh, because <laughs> I just love them so much. So maybe not every day, but I'm exaggerating here. So I love nuts and um, well, nuts are atomic. they are small little pieces. You can send them around so it's nice to imagine and somehow this meme. Uh, got much larger than uh than the project itself by now so everyone uh, is just going with it and we'll, we'll we'll see how far we can drive this nut
1: I, I love it and i i love cashews too for what it's worth they're 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 a great nut um okay I, I, cuz i was always curious about that i was like is there something deeper and but i like the you know the cash the cashew it's a great nut these nuts roll with it uh oh, yeah. i like the idea you should have fun when you're building uh building really badass open source tech uh i think that's a that's a good goal to have there um another question for you because i think uh, people uh, there's obviously a lot of talk about fediment right now and a lot of talk about cashew these are two different protocols um, can you explain a little bit the difference between kind of the federated model of fediment uh the uh non-federated model of cashew and then where the crossover is because they're mm. both still dealing with e-cash but with kind of different purposes for their uh like what their end use case is right
0: yes exactly so um Fediment is an amazing piece of uh engineering so it's a federated e-cash system which means that Now, uh, almost everything that I said applies uh, to to Fedimint as well. So it's an eCash system, Charmin eCash system works very much the same with a bit of different cryptography, so it's not interoperable with, with Cashew in the sense that You cannot take a Cashew token and pay it in a Fedimint federation or vice versa. But uh, the underlying principles are very much the same. So you pay your Bitcoin to a service, the service gives you some eCash and then you transact with the eCash inside the system until uh, you want to make a Bitcoin payment again. So that's also how Fedimint works. But the crucial difference between um, Cashew and Fedimint is that you have a federated mint. And that means that a single mint in in the case of Fedimint is not run by one party. but by N parties. So let's say you have uh, a quorum. You can also have a quorum. So you have a quorum of three out of five, for example, that will mean in the case of Fediment that there are five different servers and they all have to agree or at least three of them have to agree in order to make one uh, eCash payment. And that is great because first of all, it's a big engineering challenge to do that. And they've successfully done so. And uh, secondly, it improves the rug risk uh, for the entire mint substantially. So uh, that means, obviously, if you just trust one party, uh, then you have to put all your trust in that party. And in the case for uh, Fediment, you have, you can spread your trust across multiple participants, and they would then have to collude in order to take everyone's Bitcoin and run away. So that really improves the custodial risk for Fediment. And I think that also fits a lot on their... Kind of mission uh, that they're following and as far as i understand fediment is all about community custody so they want to give people the ability to transact with bitcoin uh, if they cannot run their own lightning node or if they cannot uh, use on-chain payments themselves because of fees and complexity and so on and so forth so in that case fediment uh, allows you to you know find a trusted group of people and then deposit your Bitcoin there and use their eCash service in return. Um, and, and that's great. Uh, for Cashew, Cashew also allows you to build a similar system. So you can uh, imagine a wallet provider, for example, running a Cashu mint, but it's always going to be, at least for the time being, it's going to be a single uh, trusted party that, that you uh, give your Bitcoin to and then you use their eCash system. Now, um, The the reason why we don't consider a federated model right now though is that we really want to focus on the efficiency. So, the goal of Cashew is to build a system that Uh, can cover a very wide range of applications. So we focus a lot on the protocol design and spelling it really out for other developers to implement. And we want multiple implementations to be there for different use cases. And when I say a wide range of applications, I mean very small scale applications, like a single website with a few hundred users that wants to run an eCache Mint for one specific purpose, for example, or an eCache Mint maybe even running on a small integrated board of low value hardware because you have a vending machine somewhere, for example, that wants to use eCache. So it should be applicable for these very small scale scenarios. But at the same time, we're working also on making this system scale to thousands and tens of thousands of uh, concurrent users. Um, We want to build Cashew such that you can do tens of thousands of transactions per second, which is the scale you need for very big applications. Uh, If you can imagine, I don't know, maybe it's going to be the Bitcoin banks of the future. Maybe it's going to be the the social media providers of the future that have some kind of an e-cashment running and they need extreme levels of throughput. And this is something that you cannot really achieve if you have a federated uh, consensus system that also needs where you have five servers to always keep up with everyone else. And so that just introduces delays and complexity. But again, uh, Fedimint is amazing software, I urge everyone to uh, check it out. Uh, and uh, I think uh, for Cashew, we will, we will see wallet providers doing that, but uh, we will also see more uh, exotic and diverse use cases of eCash that I can probably not think of, think of uh, um, already now.
1: I, I appreciate the clarification. So it, we, you could essentially, in a very simplified way, think of it as uh, uh, Cashew single sig versus uh, Fedimint multi sig in terms just at a, a a way of thinking about it. You know, you've got you know uh, whatever uh, x of n versus just one of one. Uh, in terms of the the model for the mint itself but the actual e-cash the issuing of the bearer tokens that is basically you know besides some cryptographic differences essentially the same concept there fair summary
0: yes that's a good summary
1: okay um so i i have a. I want to be conscious of your time here and i have uh two other small things i want to get into well they're actually i lied they're they're not small but um they're big <laughs> questions uh but uh, i'll go to the the first one that i think is perhaps more uh, more generally interesting to people, which is, you know, you talk about uh, scaling, uh, you mentioned earlier, and I think this is pretty well known, is that uh, Bitcoin uh, self-custody in its current state is not going to scale to 8 billion people, right? This is uh, has been known by people who are familiar with it for some time. Uh, it appears that others, folks perhaps on, on Twitter are just now figuring this out. Uh, but I'm curious, because when I, the more I learn about uh, eCash, Uh, The more I look at it as a scaling uh, solution, a way to scale on top of Bitcoin, at another layer of Bitcoin, to utilize Bitcoin still as that base layer money, still as that reserve that's being kept in the mint, but give people a uh, privacy, preserving a, a better privacy, near perfect privacy way to interact with Bitcoin also very, very quickly. I view that as a way to scale Bitcoin to many, many more people. But then there's the question of scaling Bitcoin at the base layer and changes to be made. So I'm just curious, as somebody who has worked on Bitcoin, on Lightning, now on eCash, you have a really good holistic perspective of this entire space, starting from the base layer through the other layers. How do you approach that problem just from like a logical perspective? How do you think about scaling Bitcoin versus scaling Bitcoin in layers? if, If that question makes sense.
0: Yeah, so um, in this, in that question, I'm also a little bit pedantic. And I think here in this case, it's even more important to be pedantic because the question of scaling Bitcoin is really something that you can attack from many different angles. Uh, when some people say scaling Bitcoin, sometimes they only mean scaling Bitcoin economically in a sense that more people participate in Bitcoin somehow. So. For, uh, in some sense, you could say that Coinbase is, uh, scales Bitcoin because tens of, hundreds of, t- I don't know, maybe millions of users use Coinbase and use Bitcoin in some way. Even though they, uh, these users won't be touching the base chain, don't hold their own keys, and uh, in a very strict sense are not using Bitcoin, but they're using a database that Coinbase provides. So uh, there's this way of looking at it, but the other more challenging and more important way of looking at Bitcoin scaling is the technical scaling of Bitcoin. And what do we mean by that? And usually what we mean by that is scaling the number of people who can use Bitcoin in a sovereign way. And in a sovereign way means that you hold your keys and uh, you hold your keys and your money cannot be taken away from you Even if you don't cooperate or if you or if you're part of a layer, that also means that you should be able to exit that layer at any moment once you don't want to use this layer anymore. So let's take lightning as an example and why this is a true scaling technology for Bitcoin is. In Lightning, you put your Bitcoin into a multisig with someone, so you hold keys. You're not the only holder of uh, that multisig keys, it's also your channel partner. But, and then you can use Bitcoin very, very fast and it scales greatly, and the number of Bitcoin transactions can go 1000x or something like that. So uh, and crucially, you can also exit Lightning whenever you want. So even if your peer goes offline, you can always force close the channel. And then uh, if you did something wrong, your peer will be able to punish you in the in the way that currently Lightning currently works. But it's very important that you can. You can choose to exit the relationship at any moment and you pay your on-chain fees and the Bitcoin is again in your hardware wallet. So, and that, I think that is a necessity for anything to be considered a scaling solution for Bitcoin. And I say this, you know, from a, people tell me that, uh, tell me that eCash scales Bitcoin or Cashew scales Bitcoin. And I tell them, no, it does not. So as Bitcoiners, we cannot, and I see this, over and over in in discussions and I just want to be very frank and direct upfront with it, eCash does not scale Bitcoin. eCash is just something that was waiting for Bitcoin to exist. So we built, eCash is separated from Bitcoin. It allows many more users to participate in Bitcoin economically, but it does not change the fundamental issues of Bitcoin which are scaling related. So as Bitcoins, we cannot... Be lazy and just hope that uh, some form of uh, custodial system or delegated system or anything, you know, federated custody system or something will uh, save our asses and and kind of fix the uh, fee or block size or or transaction speed or UTXO ownership problem, however you want to express it. So uh, don't get lazy and don't see eCash as a solution to the to the scaling problem because it is not. And um, so, uh, so that rant aside, I think there are still ways that we can scale Bitcoin, and this goes into the direction of uh, covenants. For example, is a topic that is being discussed very, uh, very actively uh, now, and uh, it allows uh, solutions, true scaling solutions, like the Lightning Network also offers in a in a sense that uh, now we're thinking about. A lot about UTXO co-ownership. So instead of just being able to hold your own UTXOs, maybe one UTXO could be owned by multiple people and they could be in a kind of an arrangement together where still everyone who wants to exit that arrangement can do so at their own will. So these are there are still these these conditions for a true scaling solution where you are sovereign and you hold keys and you can exit when you, whenever you want. These are uh, the goals of scaling solutions. For example, using an opcode update like uh, opctv and uh, all the different proposals that we've seen like ARC or uh, payment uh, uh, time entries and so on and so forth. So there are multiple things on the table. But again, I wanna say eCash is not one of them. eCash allows us to build the best custodial systems that exist today Anywhere, uh, and it also allows us to improve other uh, payment technologies or monies, so to speak. So you could even, you know, fix fiat banking with eCash, but obviously that is not a way to scale Bitcoin. So just making that example, I'm making that example to make it very clear that it's a separate thing, and uh, it does not improve or fix the base layer of. Bitcoin, which is some that which is what we should focus on when we talk about scaling.
1: I, I really appreciate that clarification because it is very easy to uh, and I'm sure that I myself am guilty of this at times of saying that this, you know, as I just said, you know, oh, is eCash a scaling solution for Bitcoin? I appreciate the clarification that no, it is not. It is separate. It provides a valuable service that Bitcoin happens to be the perfect monetary medium to use with that service, which we did not have before until Bitcoin uh was was discovered but it is not a strict scaling solution for bitcoin itself so I, I appreciate that clarification and the last thing i wanted to ask you which is uh perfectly segues from the last thing you said which is fiat banking rails and eCash. cash i know that uh i think the bank of international settlements put out a report i want to say it was maybe in in november maybe it was before that but it was about uh project uh tur- turbulin or tur- something similar to that where they're basically trying to uh, demonstrate e-cash or cash-like anonymity for CBDCs using e-cash. I know this is probably a very big topic and we don't have much time, uh, but can you just give me your kind of uh, overall thoughts on this and do you think that we actually, is this just an exercise in futility for central bankers? Because realistically, I don't think they want e- they don't want their CBDCs to, to have cash-like privacy-preserving features. I, I mean, unless they are much more altruistic than I currently believe, I'm curious of your take on this.
0: Yes. So this is also something I ask myself is what are the intentions of these uh, campaigns? But uh, to summarize for people who might not have seen this is uh, at least for the uh, ECB, European Central Bank, uh, uh, proposal of how to build a CBDC, this is the case, uh, is that there are multiple different applications for how to build a CBDC. And most of them are from big banks and big uh, big, big financial institutions. But one of those proposals is a system called gnu And this is another significant e-cash project out there. And I would say uh, with Fedimin-Cashew and gnu are probably the three Uh, most well-known e-cash projects, and Glutaler is an e-cash project built for Fiat. And it it has its own problems, it's not ideal, and um, I'm not the biggest fan of it, although, uh, I mean, because of some of of its properties, but um, anyway, it is still, and this is something, you know, this is a strong statement, but among privacy-aware people, it is generally accepted that a CBDC built on eCash would be the best CBDC that we can currently think of. And this, this sounds like kind of an oxymoron, but you have to integrate this into your brain. Something that can be bad can also be better than something even worse. And uh, so this is this is how I see Taler and also the project that, you've mentioned from the Bank of International Settlement. I think it is based on Notala. I'm not quite sure, but I think it goes into the same direction. Now, the question is, why are they doing this? Why don't they just do a full-on PayPal uh, account-based CBDC and the server at the central bank? And trust me, you will get it. So this uh, we will have the full controllable uh, transparent CBDC that can be completely controlled. But I think there is... Um, at least uh, in in the case of the ECB, some uh, you know significant public pressure of the public uh, of stakeholders of privacy advocates of politicians in the EU itself uh, to push for privacy preserving alternatives. Because even in our Bitcoin solo uh, in our Bitcoin uh, bubble, we sometimes think that the entire world is against us and they don't value the things that we value. And that's not really the case. So if you look into the activity going on around the CBDC, there are also many critical people about CBDCs who are not Bitcoiners. Obviously, Bitcoiners know most about CBDCs probably from any of these groups because uh, we're challenging this paradigm directly. But uh, also in the realm of the more established people who comment on this in this this, uh, banking world, there's also voices that say we need some level of privacy and uh, this is not you know you won't get privacy for everything that you do i don't believe in that at all but you might get privacy for a smaller amount of transactions this is something that you know you can find also quotes by central bankers who uh, hypothesize with the idea of maybe allowing a small balance of 300 euros or something that you can use privately. They don't say explicitly which technology would qualify for that. But for me, it's pretty obvious and clear that they are considering or the only solution that really would make sense is an e-cash solution for those cases. So I would not be completely surprised if we get a full on totalitarian CBDC plus an e-cash solution on, on the side of that, and the eCash solution somehow allows us uh, or the users of, of that CBDC uh, to do private transactions on a small scale, and that is already better than nothing. But uh, I'm pretty sure that you won't get privacy in general for CBDCs because that's not the point.
1: Yeah, it's maybe they end up using the uh, small-scale private transactions, you know, only up to 300 euro or something like that. As their justification for, look, we gave you the privacy here, but, you know, if you want to do anything larger than that, then we're going to, you know, be a bunch of totalitarian, uh, surveilling, uh, you know, dictators on top of you. And there's nothing you can do about that. Maybe it's the, it's the kind of foot in the door technique to appease the privacy advocates, and then they can still roll out their full scale, uh, dystopian, you know, central bank digital currency. I don't know that, huh? That almost... It almost is more worrisome that they use the foot in the door like that in some ways i don't know well we'll see
0: that could uh, be it's a that's i think a general question that is hard to answer i have problem answering it myself is you know whether providing half privacy solutions is better than providing no privacy solutions at all this is a topic you know in and of it, uh, itself um same could be asked for systems that are not perfect like tor or signal that give you the impression of privacy and you really get privacy. Uh, it's much, much better privacy than not using them. But are you uh, are you safe if you are targeted as an individual? That's another question. So uh, uh, I, I, I cannot answer that question uh, perfectly, but uh, it feels to me that everything that improves privacy, even incrementally, is something that we should pursue. And in that sense, I would even support a CBDC that uses eCash because I know that there are much, much more worse designs that could be implemented as well. Uh, But again, my prediction would be that uh, we we definitely get the the bad one and maybe we get the good one in a small scale as well if we're very lucky. But if not, uh, it doesn't matter because we're still building it on Bitcoin and uh, for to build it on Bitcoin, you don't need the permission of these people. And uh, we'll just have to uh, fix it, fix it ourselves. And I I believe we have the better coders. We have the better hackers. We have the better theoreticians. And we also have the better money. So I'm not worried too much about the future.
1: Amen to that. That's a a perfect note to end on. Um, I, first of all, really appreciate you sharing your scarce time because Bitcoin is scarce like your time, but Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you very much for coming on this one. Thank you for answering my questions i think this is going to be really useful for a lot of people i'll include uh, your your uh noster and uh twitter links and whatnot but in terms of uh you know different eCash projects, projects uh, npub.cache uh enuts uh cashew is it cashew.me to get to the, cashew. the space. Wallet?
0: or cashew.space uh to find the project's main website and you find also the documentation space there for developers um if if uh, you'll allow me, I'll do a special shout out uh, to developers listening to this. We're in dire need. We're an unfunded, open, free and open source project. Uh, we live off uh, contributors like you. And if you're looking for uh, any Bitcoin project and you know you want to get your hands dirty and finally uh, work on something in this space, uh, feel free and be invited warmly to join us in our mission at cash.space you'll find information. You can just reach me uh, using any any channel that uh, that uh, you like and i'll hold your hands and show you the ecosystem and show uh, where you can help uh, because we definitely need help so if you're hearing this please consider it
1: all right that, a great message to end on uh well thank you so much for your time i really again appreciate it and this was fascinating uh, i'll just ask you to stay for a moment after i cut the recording uh, just to let it upload fully Thank you again, Kalei. This was fantastic. I learned a lot and uh, I could probably ask you questions for a few more hours, but we'll have to save that for next time. So thank you so much.
0: Thanks for having me, Walker. I appreciate it. Thanks.
1: And that's a wrap on this Bitcoin talk episode of the Bitcoin podcast. If you are a Bitcoin only company interested in sponsoring another fucking Bitcoin podcast, head to bitcoinpodcast.net or hit me up on social media. On Noster, head to primal.net slash walker. And on Twitter, search for at walkeramerica or at Titcoin podcast. You can also watch the video version of this show on X or on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash at walkeramerica or rumble by searching for at walkeramerica. Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million. But Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Until next time, stay free.